However, after his brothers had left for the feast, he went also, not publicly, but in secret. Now at the feast, the Jews were watching for him and asking, Where is that man? Among the crowds there was widespread whispering about him. Some said, He is a good man. Others replied, No, he deceives the people. But no one would say anything publicly about him for fear of the Jews. Well, we have a uh, situation before us that we just read about, and that was that the uh, individual to whom Jesus came didn't know who he was. Let me see if I can turn on my microphone. How's that? Better? No? You're good. Good. Okay. What they were asking was, who is this man? Who is Jesus? They, want, they didn't know. They, uh, they had missed the point. They didn't recognize him. And so they stood in the midst of them, and they were asking questions. Where is he? Who is he? So forth. So the idea is, when we, when we ask that question, we're asking a question that the whole world has been asking for the last 2,000 years or more. Who is that man? What I want to do this morning and what I'm going to ask you to do with me, I want to set a scenario for you and I want to ask you, if you would, please, to cooperate. Now, I'm not going to ask you to do anything publicly, but I do ask you to do something with me as, as we begin talking together. I'm asking you to go back and, and uh, be part of a scenario that I want to place before you and put yourself in the role that I ask you to do. What I'm going to ask you to think about is that, that you have a relative, an older relative, not locally, but away from here, that has just sent you a letter. And as you read the letter, this relative, he's older, he's distant, but he claims to be your kin and to be one of your ancestors, basically. He, he claims to have known your grandparents and your parents. And he wants to talk to you. He wants to tell you something. Now, what he's going to tell you, he's afraid to tell you this, basically, or he's a little bit shy or reticent about it. Because he's already talked to your family. He's already talked to your parents. He's already talked to your grandparents. He's talked to your uncles and aunts and great-great-uncles and great-aunts. He's talked to everyone, and he hasn't gotten the response that he thought he should have from them. They've, they've put him off. So he's coming directly to you in a letter. Now, you look at the postmark, and you can't really make it out, but you know it's not local. You know it's not from this area. So you're reading the letter, and he starts out by telling you that he believes, and he doesn't want to alarm you unnecessarily, but he wants to tell you that he believes you're in danger, that, that something is going to happen to you that is, that is perilous. And he's concerned, he's deeply concerned. He can't approach you, he's not going to approach you personally, because he's already tried some approaches, that haven't worked with your grandparents and parents and aunts and uncles and so forth, your, your extended family. They've sort of put him off. So he's going to send a representative to talk to you, someone that has his authority to speak for him on his behalf. He's going to fill that individual in on everything that he wants him to tell you. Okay, 
but he can't identify him openly because he, there's enemies. And he, he, again, it's alarming to a degree, but he believes that he, if he tells you openly who this individual is, that the enemies will intercept him and that he will not be able to actually reach you and you'll be in danger yourself. So he's going to send him sort of in a way that, that is not going to be open. Now he's going to tell you where he's coming. He'll tell you the he'll tell you the, the area that he's coming to, the general area. As a matter of fact, he'll even tell you the name of the town he's coming to because he feels like when he when he when he tells that that that'll be it'll be um, a little bit vague enough so that there won't be any danger to you. Okay. Now before. He arrives. He's sending him right away. Before he arrives, he's going to send somebody to tell you who he is. So he'll identify. He's not going to tell you what kind of hat he's wearing. He's not going to tell you the type of clothes he's wearing. He's not going to tell you anything about his facial features or how he walks, how he talks, so forth. He's going to send someone just before he comes to you because of the danger, because of the peril, He's going to send that individual and tell you right away where he is. Okay? Now, you're going, to, you're going to ask the question, who is this guy? Who's coming? What's his name? When, when will he get here? Well, he's already told he's coming. And he has to come soon because there's danger. Because you're in, you're in, you're in peril. He's coming. And he's coming to... Probably he's going to tell you the name of the town. He won't tell you right now, but he will tell you the name of the town he's coming to. When he tells you the name of the town, it may be Mudslip, Mississippi, but he's going to tell you the name of the town. And that's going to be vague enough that there probably won't be any danger to you, but it may be some danger to him. But he's going to take that chance, okay? He's going to take that risk. But he's not going to identify him personally because the enemies get him like that. Okay. Now you know what I'm talking about, don't you? I'm talking about Jesus. I'm talking about the fact that when Jesus came, that's the way he came. Now, he, he got a, the humanity got a letter. Really got a letter. And the letter said, you're in danger. Right? You're in peril. And the letter said, I'm sending someone to help you. I'm going to send someone. When Jesus got here, he, as a matter of fact, he, he told people that. He said, search the scriptures. In them you think ye have eternal life. They are they which testify of me. I'm the guy. It's me. Okay? Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1 says, God in sundry times and divers manner spoke to the fathers by the prophets. He spoke to the fathers by the prophets. They had the letter. They had the letter. But there was danger. And so in the letter there were clues given as to who was coming. He said he was coming. He said he's going to send someone to help us because we're in danger. And they're all in that letter. And Jesus said, if you just read the letter, 
you'd know it's me. I'm here. And then, of course, that, that's what all the prophets said. Now, there was a fellow, when, when Jesus first came on the scene publicly, there was one guy that recognized him. His name was Philip. Jesus came, and after he had gone to, had been baptized by John, then Philip went and got his brother Andrew and said, Hey, hey, I found him. I found him. John 1, verse 45. He said, I found him. I found him. They kind of ignored it. <laughs> That's okay. It went on like that for a while. But let's think about how the Spirit made preparation for the coming of Jesus. Now, in Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, the Holy Spirit in this letter, God through the Holy Spirit, His Holy Spirit, said that I'm going to send someone to help you, to save you, to get you out of danger, and I'm going to send him to Bethlehem. There's a place. Was there any danger? Well, wasn't there. Herod came swooping down. When he found out where he was going to be born, he came swooping in and he took the, all the children under a certain age and killed them. Jesus just barely escaped. I'll tell you how you can identify him. Here's how you can identify him. He's going to be born of my genealogy, of David the king. So if you look up the genealogy, you can find out who he is by his genealogy. You know he's related to me. You know he's related to David and David through his father and so forth. On back to Adam and Adam back to the father. So he said, he's, he's going to be of the branch of David in Isaiah or Jeremiah chapter 23 at verse 5 and 6. In addition to that, when he comes, when he's born, you'll know, you'll know who he is because he's going to be born of a virgin. Can you believe that? Yes. Isaiah 7, 14. We'll call his name Emmanuel, and that's what he's called in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, which means God with us. Actually, this messenger he was sending was his own son. Here was God saying, I've got to warn you because you're in peril. You're in danger. I'm going to send you the root of David. I'm going to send you one called Emmanuel. I'm going to send you my son. He's going to come and warn you. Now, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to send another man that I already have on the ground in the area. He's there. He's ready to go. When the time comes for you to identify my messenger, my representative, my son, when the time comes, I've got a man that's going to tell you who he is. I'm not going to tell you what he looks like, I'm not, because as a matter of fact, in Isaiah chapter 53, in the letter he says, you won't even know his visage. You won't, under, you won't know what he looks like. You have, he has no appeal to you, as a matter of fact, in that way. He said, but I'm going to send the man that will point him out for you. His name is Elijah. I will send Elijah before him. And in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3 and 4, he says, he says he's going to knock down the mountains and fill up the valleys and make the road straight for him. He's going to come and identify him for you. He'll tell you who he is. And then, when he accomplishes his purposes, when he gets to the point that he's going to do what I'm asking him to do, 
to get you out of danger, get you out of danger, his own personal friend, his bosom buddy, is going to betray him, lift up his heel against him, and he's going to sell him out for 30 pieces of silver. Zechariah chapter 11, verse 12 and 13. Well, in addition to that, when he gets on the cross, when he's going to pay the price it takes in order to save you, it's a conspiracy. You know, that's why it goes along this way. It's a conspiracy. The conspiracy was to keep you in danger and to take your soul. That's why all of this is written like it is in the Old Testament. And I've made a mosaic. I've made a big picture. You want to identify the one who's come to save you? Well, here you'll find a little piece here, and you'll find a piece there, and a piece there, and a piece. All through the Old Testament prophets, they'll talk about him. And all you have to do, as Jesus said, search the Scriptures. In them you think you have eternal life. There they which testify of me. That's how you can recognize me, Jesus said. Isn't that easy? So when he got on the cross, when he was on the cross, Psalms chapter 22, verse 16 through 18, he said, You pierced my hands and my feet. My bones you've counted. You've told my bones. Then he later said, in that same context, he said, he said that you've parted my garments among yourselves. So they knew when he was on the cross that he was doing what his father sent him to do. Okay. Who is this man? Who is this man? Well, we know just from that survey, quick survey, we know that from this book, there's, you know, there's no other man on earth ever before, ever since, nor ever shall be, that has been so identified as this man called Jesus. He is completely identified. Completely. Some say there's only over 200 little pieces in the Old Testament mosaic that identifies Jesus that we can read about in his life. Okay. So we know him. We know who he is in that sense, don't we? Okay. We know him because we have a letter from heaven, as it were, that dates back 1,200 years, starting to talk about the coming of this one that the Father was going to send to get us out of danger, to save us. He came to seek and to save that which is lost. Who is this man? Well, he is the man that all of history testifies to. He's the man that the Old Testament writers... None of them like him. I just have to mention that again. Nobody like him. What other prophet or prophet or philosopher has come into this world claiming to be from God does not have this credibility behind him, does not have this evidence at all. There was no, nothing written about them coming. You can, you can search the annals of American history and you'll never see, of, of all history, you'll never find another man just like this that has all this information identifying him as to who he is. He is a man of history. Okay, you know what that means? That means that his life was completely transparent. That means that, that when he came, he was who he said he was. He was every bit as genuine as he stated. Now, the first time I ran into this, 
was when I was reading a statement made in John chapter 18 and at verse 19 through 21. This and some other texts just like it. But basically, in that text, Jesus is standing before the Sanhedrin. He's standing before the, the individuals who are wanting to, to uh, put him to death, wanting to take him out of this life, take him away from this life. And as they're, as they're talking to him, they're asking him who he is. And the, and the reply of Jesus is this. Let's, let's read this in verse 19 through 21. He said, The high priest asked Jesus of his disciples and of his doctrine. They asked him about who his disciples were and what his doctrine was. Jesus answered him. Now, I, I want to be very careful in what I'm reading here because I think I've got this right. He said, I spoke openly to the world. Now, do you know what he's saying? He's saying, I am a historical figure. I am who you see. I'm not a pretender. I'm not a hoax. I am genuine. I am who I say I am. And what he's saying is, I spoke openly. Everybody saw. Nothing behind the bushes. Nothing behind the barn. Nothing down in the valley. Nothing behind the hills. Nothing behind the scenes. I'm open, he said. I spoke openly. Nothing secret about me. Nothing unreserved about me. Nothing that you can accuse me of that was not exactly what I said it was. That's what he's saying. Now he's saying, I, I taught in the synagogues. Every, every community in that area had a, had a synagogue. Had more than, more than one, generally. And he said, I taught in the temple. Where the Jews always resort. And in secret, I have said nothing. Now you ask any politician. You ask any monarch. You ask any speaker. You ask any human being on this earth. Do you have a secret? Jesus said, no secrets. No secrets. Now, he's a historical individual. Historically, he's genuine. He is there. He was there. Now, that's what Paul said when he was talking to Agrippa. Agrippa had him under observation because Festus had talked to him. Felix had talked to him, who were governors in Caesarea of the Roman government. And when Agrippa came, King Agrippa, and he was a king of the Jews, one of the kings. He thought he was a monarch. There were three of them who thought they were monarchs. Three of them that were in that family. He had two brothers tried the same thing. Anyway, when he was talking to Herod and Agrippa, he looked at Agrippa and he said, he said, this thing was not done in a corner. He said, he said, Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? Do you know what he was saying? He said, you know what he was saying? He was talking about Jesus. He's saying, these prophets talked about Jesus. And he said, Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? He said, I know that you believe. And it, it stunned Agrippa. Stunning. What Paul was saying when he said this was not done in a corner, he was saying this was done openly, historically, manifest. You can examine it. 
You can read it. You can calculate it. You can go over the fine-tooth comb. You can get your magnifying glass out. It's open. Now, there's no other character in history that's ever been that open. Never. There's always secrets. There's always behind-the-scenes things going on. Not with Jesus. He was open. Now, that's important for us to know. And as a matter of fact, we have four records of the life of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But John said, when he finished his book, and he was an eyewitness of Jesus being there. John, when he finished this book, he said, I suppose if everything was written that should be written about Jesus, the world couldn't contain the books that are written about him. We hear about people talking about a historical Jesus as if he wasn't historical. Now listen to this. From the time that Jesus left this earth until now, people have been writing about him historically, these four Gospels, history. And then from the end of the first century, the close of the first century, until now, people are still writing about him. No, you don't write about a legend like that. You don't talk about a myth like that. We're talking about tomes, hundreds of millions of books, letters, autobiographies, or biographies, all of this about Jesus, about a man, and somebody comes up and says, well, maybe he wasn't historical. Well, he certainly was historical. Unless we're going to call all of these people that have written about him all down through the centuries. Plenty wrote about him. Josephus wrote about him. Roman writers wrote about him. The, uh, the Latin writers wrote about him. The Grecian writers wrote about him. Everybody wrote about him. Why? Because he was a historical figure. And he was open to history. Okay. Who is this man? He's a historical figure. Let me give you one other point. Today is 2022 A.D. We don't use that anymore. But you know what that A.D. means? Anno Domini. That's Latin. In the year of our Lord, when he was born. Okay? B.C. meant before Christ. A.D. meant after Christ, after the birth of Christ. Well, some fellows got thinking, that's going to insult the Chinese, that's going to insult the Japanese, that's going to insult the, the, all the different cultures that have their own dates. So let's not call it B.C., let's not call it A.D., let's call it C.E. and C.E., what is it, um, C.E. and B.C.E. I think that's it. Yeah, B.C.E. and C.E. Okay. I got to get to that right in my mind. B.C.E. means before the common era. So it's 2022 B.C.E. No. It's 2022 C.E. Common era. Okay. So let's get it right. Okay, well, what are they saying? You know what they're doing? They're still pegging time at the birth of Jesus. Regardless of what you call it, it's still referring to the birth of Christ. And the atheists look at this and say, that's not even honest. That's not even honest. Because they're saying the same thing. 
when you use CE or BCE, it's still saying the same thing. And that is, Jesus put his stamp on time like no other has. And it's still before Christ and after Christ. Still the same thing. Now, what I'm saying is, who is this man? He is a historical figure. Okay. One other point. Who is this man? He's the man who set the standard of morality and ethics. He set the standard of good morals and good ethics. Good behavior. He set that standard. Well, you say, well, didn't, didn't Moses back away and didn't, didn't uh, Confucius and didn't some of the other writers, didn't they, uh, some of the, the writers of the Midras and the Ithras and so forth, didn't they also, also say something like, you shall uh, do unto others as you have under, others do unto you? They really didn't say that. They said something like it, but they didn't have it in the, in the positive sense. They had it in the negative sense. Don't do unto others what you don't want them to do to you. Actually, it's, but even, even so, Jesus took this further. What Jesus said was what Moses has said, but he, he emphasized it. What he said was, Matthew 19, verse 19, was to love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. And he also said that we are to forgive those who sin against us. Now, here's the ethical standard the moral standard, what I'm saying is Jesus set the standard of what you should feel your emotions and what you should think you should do, your motive. Nobody's ever done that before. They've made suggestions. But Jesus said, here's how you, your emotions should be and here's how your behavior should be consistent with those emotions. He set the standard of good emotions, and good motives. And he said, when you pray, he said, when you stand praying, forgive your enemies as the Father has forgiven you. And he said that in, in uh, Matthew 6, verse 12. Ephesians 4, verse 32, he said that, that we should be kind to one another and forgive each other. He's talking about his, his own family. In addition to that, when we talk about him setting the standard, he set the standard of behavior in terms of one word, and of course that word is love. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8 tells us that God is love. So when we talk about that man, who is that man? Jesus. Jesus is the man that brought us that concept, that broad, broad concept of love, how we should behave toward our enemies and how we should behave toward our friends. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he defines love for us. And this is a wonderful statement, a wonderful phrase. In 1 Corinthians 13, and at verse 4, he says, Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not bulk itself up. Love is not puffed up. Love does not behave itself unseemly. Love does not seek her own, is not easily provoked, thinks no evil, rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love 
never fails. Love never fails. So, Jesus set the standard. The standard is what? The standard is treat your enemies like yourself. Jesus set the standard. Who's that man? He set the standard for forgiveness. He's that man that did that. And he set the standard for motivation. And he called it love because God is love. And he gave us hope. As we're told in 1 Peter chapter 1 at verse 3 that our hope is life everlasting. So he says there, I mean James, he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy has begotten us into a living hope. A living hope. So he's given us love, he's given us forgiveness, he's given us hope. Who is this man? His name is Jesus. Now, he wrote, the letter was written and telling us about him coming because we're in danger. He came. We can identify him. And he is historical. He is the, the God, the living God of heaven and earth because he is the Son of God. Who is this man? He is the man who has set our standards for us, our standards of morality and our standards of ethics. So, one of these days, we're going to have to face that question if we haven't already faced it. Everybody has to face it. Who is this man? You say, well, I've got a neighbor that's never going to face that question. Yes, he is. Romans 4, verse 10, or 14, verse 10 says, We'll all stand before the judgment throne of God, give an account for the deeds done in this body. One of these days, we'll all face it. But you need to face it today. Who is this man? Face it. He is the Son of God. He is the Savior. He is your Savior. And you need to believe in him. Let's stand and sing the song that's of invitation for us.